0: Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> I, I live in a bubble where this has already passed.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Filene Fill-In, the podcast where we fill you in on what's been going on here at Filene's home base and out and about in the financial services world. I'm Holly Fearing with Filene. Are you on social media? Are you a Twitter user? Why does that sound oddly similar to the language we would use to talk about drug use? Being on something, being a user of something. Have you ever thought of who's behind those platforms, making you see, think, and feel certain ways? Okay, I don't want to get too trippy here right out of the gate. But in today's episode, we address a topic that lies in the intersection of two main areas of interest for me, and I'm going to assume also for many listeners of this podcast, social media and cooperatives. Here's the deal. After repeated earning statements showing slower than expected user base growth and lower than expected ad revenue, near the end of 2016, an acquisition of Twitter seemed inevitable, yet several rumored and real suitors at first attracted by Twitter's wealth of user data and declining stock price, passed on purchasing the platform, which boasts around 100 million users today. Many of those users are big fans of the platform and how it enables them to stay connected to the world. They didn't see Twitter as a failure in the same way. Some of them started talking about, what if we could buy it? What if Twitter could be owned by its users? What if it could become a democratically controlled social media platform owned by those who use it, structured as a cooperative? And this, in an eggshell, is how the Buy Twitter campaign was hatched. I do want to point out that such an outcome would naturally elevate an awareness of the cooperative model beyond anything we've seen before. And for that, every cooperative business has a reason to pay attention here. Organizers effectively got a proposal on the Twitter shareholder ballot to investigate what transitioning ownership to a co op structure would and could look like and what that would entail. The Twitter shareholder meeting is Monday, May 22nd, and we'll know the results of the vote after that. But first, I wanted to learn more about this from both organizers and credit union supporters of the Buy Twitter efforts. So I had a chat with William Azaroff, executive lead at Van City Credit Union and board chair at Modo Cooperative. And then I spoke with Matt Kropp, who's been involved in the campaign organizing efforts. He is associate director of the Vermont Employee Ownership Center, chief manager of the Vermont Solidarity Investing Club, and board president of Full Barrel Co-op. Kicking off the discussion, here's Will.
0: Yeah, so the Buy Twitter campaign uh, essentially is uh, a grassroots campaign by some users of Twitter. You know, Twitter has struggled to figure out its business model, its revenue model. It's tried a number of things, and uh, it continues uh, not to make money, and its share price sort of fluctuates, but it hasn't done great since it went public. And so it's a grassroots campaign, uh, I believe, coming out of the platform cooperativism movement. So what does that mean? It means that many of us belong to these platforms, you know, social media platforms, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, things like that. And they are obviously owned by um, uh, publicly traded companies for the most part, and uh, they're going to act in the best interests of their shareholders, which are the people who need them to make considerable revenue. The tech space is used to uh, huge returns. And uh, some have figured that out, Facebook. Um, and some users are happy with that. Some users are, um, I would say, uh, not paying attention to that. And some users are very unhappy about that. Mm-hmm. Twitter, on the other hand, has struggled with that model. And so a group of people got together and and put up uh, an actual resolution to be voted on at the shareholders meeting coming up later this month uh, to... Um, basically take Twitter out of the hands of uh, the publicly traded markets and put it in the hands of uh, the members and the users in the form of making it into a cooperative. And even though the board of directors has come out against the motion, um, it was – was determined, I believe, by the SEC to keep on the agenda. So it will be voted on, which is kind of co-op geeks like you and me uh, find this kind of thing very exciting because the word cooperative doesn't come up in the same sentence as major companies we all know very often.
1: Right. This gives. I feel like the the victory is just having it be on the ballot, and the results are kind of less significant.
0: Holly, I think you you summed up how I feel about it exactly, which is, you know, I'm a big fan of the cooperative model because it's both a business model uh, and businesses sort of are modern vernacular. And it's an exciting way to keep people focused on a common goal and to uh, do something that people like and they like by buying things from your company or, or, or using your services or whatever. But the model ensures that the distribution of um, the profits, the distribution of the, um, you know, whatever benefits come from that uh, transaction, those sales, benefit the widest number of the members. The members could be the workers, the members could be the users, etc. And so it's an amazing hybrid model that in the world I would like to live in would be a very viable model when people come out of business school. They could look at a for-profit business. They could start a not-for-profit organization. They could start a cooperative. They could start some kind of hybrid. But instead, most people come out of business school and they learn about for-profit. They might have a sense of not-for-profit. That's it. Mm -hmm. And so this really viable, interesting model is simply unknown. Or if it's known, it's like that weird kind of musty-smelling bookstore down the street that always looks like it's on the verge of closing. (laughs) So Yeah. (laughs) So viable co-ops like you and I work for and are on the boards of, um, it's exciting when – and this is kind of unprecedented – where something the size of Twitter, which is struggling, and I have – I I don't use Twitter as much as I used to because I find it – the kind of environment it is isn't always conducive to great dialogue like it was a few years ago. But this would put the control in the hands of the users as opposed to putting the control in the hands of, obviously, management uh, who are answerable to shareholders who may or may not be users, um, and you wouldn't have one user, one vote. You would have votes concentrated in the hands of those who have the most shares. Mm
1: -hmm. So from a credit union perspective, you see value in this for the entire cooperative movement to have this conversation happening what do you see specifically beneficial for credit unions and what is your recommendation for other credit unions all over the world for um, you know, keeping up to date with movements like this and encouraging and supporting and um, sharing uh, anything that might occur in the future that's giving exposure to cooperatives on this level?
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, that, that, that there's less in it. I mean, especially being a Canadian credit union, it's not like our credit union has anything to gain or it's not like our credit union is deeply invested in this issue. Don't get me wrong, like it's not like we're all a buzz about this. Mm-hmm. I think that what it is is selfishly, the more people who understand the cooperative model and then understand that their credit union is a financial cooperative means that, you know, we all struggle with this. We talk about We make videos of the different banks and credit unions. Like, this is an eternal challenge because we're always the obscure model, and anything that helps take the obscurity out of the model and shine a light – Helps us speak to our purpose and our differentiation Mm -hmm. uh, in the marketplace. And so that's good globally. And then, you know, a lot of credit unions have a decent social media following. And I believe it's incumbent on every cooperative to look at this. And unless they see a reason why they wouldn't, and it's pretty, the, the way the organizers have done it, it's pretty easy to just retweet. Uh, some information about it. There's there's a main narrative, like a letter about what it is. There's a small poll. You know, so what all I did was, um, you know, engage our social media specialist about it. I was curious what her reaction, and I think like a lot of co-ops who, you know, understand their cooperative nature, she was all over this. She's like, oh, my God, this is so interesting to learn about because she's both into social media and she works in mm-hmm. a cooperative. This is right up her alley. And so she just took it from there. I mean, I, I don't want to take undue credit for, like, I didn't do anything to organize this or, you know, all I did was... um well, I think actually all I did was get tagged on Twitter by, I don't know if it was you or someone saying, this is awesome. Mm-hmm. I was aware of it a little bit, and since then I've embarked on conversations with Danny and uh, um, helped introduce him to our people, and hopefully that'll model for others to just tweet this out, get the conversation going uh, and talk about the viability of cooperatives. Our societies face greater inequity, greater harm to the environment. The challenges we face are tremendous Mm -hmm. and co-ops are part of the solution um, and we should do everything we can to help get that word out.
1: Yeah, I I agree 100% and I think one really cool lesson out of this is that anyone can do this. Anyone can start a movement and now it's on the ballot for all of Twitter's shareholders and it's that's, that's really cool for me and I would say I'm in the same camp as your social media manager. This is just at the intersection of cooperatives which I'm deeply invested in, social media mm-hmm. which I do all day long and then because I'm at Filene Research we look at research and this proposal isn't about just wholesale converting to a cooperative but it's about looking at a study for the feasibility of that which I think is you know research and so it's it's a great intersection of all the things I'm in I'm deeply entrenched in and I think the results if if this were to pass the results could be used for many other applications of um, technology and the way it functions as empowering the users rather than seeing the users as dollar signs.
0: Yeah, no, that's right. And I'm glad you added the distinction that, that this, this isn't uh, a motion to turn pl- uh, Twitter into a, a co op. This is a, a measure to do research to see what it would take. And it's interesting because it reminds me at a very macro or a magnified level uh, a problem that I see at a granular level, which is one of the interesting opportunities that co ops have um, at a local economy level is around co op worker succession planning. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of business owners who are getting close to retirement age or their past retirement age. They don't know who to pass their company along to. Their children, let's say, live in other places or aren't interested. And there is a, a, a small but growing model where that owner could sell his or her company to the workers um, and uh, turn it into a co-op. And one and so there's lots of plus sides there, and it's a rare chance to sort of um, mutualize a part of the small business economy, which is, which is super interesting. And it's happening in pockets all over North America as far as I can tell the one downside is that some of these that have progressed to a fairly mature state, uh, as far as the research goes, discover that one of the reasons the owner wants to get out is, let's say, the business isn't that well run, and suddenly the employers on the on the cusp uh, um, employees, I should say, are on the cusp of taking over a business that is actually not doing well or failing. And so, we have urged a number of groups um, looking at this to make sure that there's some kind of like. You know, peaceful transfer of power over a period of time so that the books can get back on track. And so the reason I mention that is that it's interesting because I think the one opportunity here is you have a very active platform that isn't making money, that is you know, the people's news network in some ways. Mm-hmm. And so there's a number of things here that make this ripe for this kind of discussion. Because there are opportunities to create revenue if if users are willing to pay a small amount of money a month to be a member owner, would that sort of would a freemium model or some kind of model like that um, give it give enough revenue to make the thing sustainable? Because of course a co op model doesn't need to be highly profitable. It needs to be profitable profitable enough that it can keep it reinvesting its proceeds back into research and development and growth and those things. But it doesn't have to return a 10x return to shareholders or or mm-hmm. those kinds of things. So it's a really interesting thing because it is uh, a failing business on a certain level. And so um, beware the <laughs> co-op mm-hmm. world of taking over failing businesses. But this is an interesting one because Again, it's just to pr- approve research, but you got to believe there's a way to make this work at a viable, sustainable level rather than a hugely profitable level, which is what we've now come to expect from every company.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's not that radical of idea, an idea to have users pay for the service. I, I gladly no. pay my $10 a month for my Apple Music service. and Yep, I think that you know it, it's a little bit harder when you are used to something being free and then all of a sudden you have to pay $10 a month for it. But if it's um, added benefits, if there aren't ads, if I'm not being um, manipulated and uh, some of the things that Facebook has been in the news lately for, really makes mm-hmm. me question wanting to be on that platform. So uh, I think that it's it's a definite uh, a viable solution for a lot of the problems that people have with social media today. There's yeah, agreed. there's a, there's a lot of pros here, and so I have to ask your opinion on uh, why is it presented, do you believe, as um, the shareholder or the board of directors of Twitter is recommending shareholders vote against this provision just to even explore conversion conversion into a dem- democratically controlled company?
0: Yeah, it's surprising that the people who have a lot of control, power, and percentage of any future profits would, would recommend, uh, something that would change that model for them. Um, yeah. you know, I, I, I think it's just that simple. Like, the, the for-profit model works when something's profitable and, uh, the control is held by a few. Um, uh, and so, you know, it's an interesting model because the big question for me is whether shareholders, um, who own considerable stakes in the company believe there's still a future profit, um, to be wrestled out of the company or whether they, uh, have given up and they would rather cut their losses and leave. And this may present an opportunity for them to just cash out and move to things that are gonna see the kind of returns that they wanna see. So, I'm like I don't. Everything tells me this won't pass, and yet there's there's. I guess it's if there's a couple of big shareholders who are like, "Look, you guys aren't going to be able to do anything with this. We want out." I think in the end, that isn't the way they would proceed. The way uh, I think we've all learned the world works is that they would just push for more and more aggressive tactics that may actually alienate their core users and um, may squeeze some initial profit, but uh, what kind of platform would it become? So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think that um, I, I think that there's very little incentive for the current owners to want to sell it.
1: I know it was... Uh an awakening for me when I read an article about this campaign and the response from the Twitter, uh, the leaders of Twitter and the board of directors saying that, look, you don't need to restructure the company if you want to have a say in the Goings on of the company, just buy some stock, and then you get to have a a vote that way. And it um, that's completely missing the point because it's not meant to be for the benefit of the shareholders, but for the betterment of those that use the the service or the good, which is not the same subset of people. And it just made me realize that people don't understand the cooperative model at all. So we do have a lot of work to do in the cooperative and credit union spaces to help um, yep. clear up that difference because there is a, a huge benefit to the users as a cooperative.
0: Yeah, I totally agree that that we both have shareholders and, and both can vote, but the model with which um, who can vote, how you obtain the rights to vote, and how many votes each party gets, uh, are radically different.
1: I wanted to talk a bit about what this means then for the future of technology in general, because regardless of how this turns out, I think that this is setting, um, I mean, to, to my knowledge, this has never been something that's been on a, a large company's, uh, annual ballot before. And, um, with the platform cooperative movement getting larger and new technology coming out every single day. Just wanted to know your thoughts on, you know, what is the possibility of a, a future social media platform or future technology five, 10 years down the road that's structured from the start as a cooperative or a platform cooperative?
0: Yeah, I, I, it's a great question. I think that, um, The thing that I worry about is that uh, there are such entrenched powers in play now that I wonder that the only people who would be attracted to such a platform are people who either, uh, well, so maybe let me put this a different way, but as privacy concerns get to be bigger, as fake news issues get to be bigger, as the limitations and problems with the uh, current models, um, start to become relevant to more and more of its users, then I think there is absolutely opportunity for a platform where the users truly have say. They, they elect the board of directors, the board of directors hires management, they feel empowered to, um, exercise not just that particular kind of voice, but that kind of voice gives way to the rise of their voice in other ways, and they want to participate, and that is a healthy model, even if it is challenging in its own ways. I worry a little bit that, you know, Facebook has the uh, wherewithal to sort of bob and weave with those uh, failings or those issues, and so therefore, what's going to be the burning platform, so to speak, for um, uh, a cooperative model. I I think... So, yeah. So, I just... I, I, I find myself torn because the world I'd like to live in is a world where there would be a viable model where co-op... It feels like this is a perfect time for co-ops to uh, have a model out there that I feel would be very enticing to people given their frustrations with the major platforms. Mm-hmm. I just think that... Um, the power dynamics and and you know the one thing that the for-profit um, private model does well is people um... It incentivizes people in a way the same way that tech does you know the sort of pulling all-nighters Uh, minimum viable product, getting it out there, aggressively growing your user base, attracting venture capital, uh, and growing uh, without profit for enough years that you can really prove out the value um, and then sustain yourself. Co-ops are challenged by a lot of those things. Co-ops can raise venture capital, but it is much more difficult or more nuanced, and uh, venture capitalists are much less used to it. So I don't know how many would come to the table, even if co-ops structure themselves in a way that venture capital was something they could pursue. Um, the participatory nature means that decision-making, you know, you don't have a Mark Zuckerberg figure just pushing everything through mm-hmm. his way and he's either right and it pays off or he's wrong and the thing stalls out and we've seen lots of examples of both of those. So, So I guess the pragmatist in me sort of looks at the co-op model and all its nuances and That's why this is so interesting, because taking over a platform that has had all that happen but has still struggled to find revenue and where major investors, as I understand it, um, are frustrated and losing patience, um, that's interesting because the the platform already exists and has a significant user base that now moving it to a co-op model would be interesting. I think it would have been hard for Twitter to grow where it's grown if it had started as Mm co-op. but. Um, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. I'd love to be wrong about that, but that's what I think happens.
1: Yeah. I would love to see what, I mean, I think that anything can come out of this. It's, it's kind of a fascinating study that maybe this is the solution that both sides of business models are looking for. Maybe there's a hybrid that needs to happen and, um, you know, the, the, everything that Twitter had the strength and ability to get where it is today. Uh, I completely agree that a cooperative just can't really get to that size that quickly. Um, But then there might be a a point where there needs to be a handoff and a return to the owners. And and that could be a really fascinating um, development in, in the cooperative world.
0: Absolutely, and I think that that's why we're all watching this one with interest. Even if it gets shot down, what, I mean, I, and I don't know enough about this to know whether if it gets shot down, does that mean it can never be raised again? Or does that mean that, you know, it's, you know, sometimes people run for office to win and sometimes they run because they know it's going to take them three runs mm-hmm. to get their name out there enough that they start to win. Which is this? Is this uh, running to win? Um, or is this running to socialize an idea that they're going to keep presenting every time? Um, you know, if the company continues to struggle with its revenue models, is this something that eventually people will be like, well, what's the harm in doing this research? Let's do this. Mm-hmm. And then you you get to the next stage. So do they have an end game or are they just, you know, they're grassroots be they're just taking it one day at a time. But mm-hmm. if they're allowed to resubmit a similar proposal over um, multiple years, um, I could picture this gaining traction as a sort of ongoing campaign.
1: Absolutely. I would think it would depend on how the success or failure of the company develops over time. And if yeah. anyone does purchase it. And that would be interesting because that could be a good thing if the right company purchased it, or it could be kind of the end of the campaign altogether, depending on. Yeah,
0: that's, that's very true. That's very true.
1: So do you have anything else you want to mention to our listeners of the podcast before I let you go?
0: Um I just I think that the like you said at the top the, the beyond the intricacies of this which I think is super interesting um I also just think it's one of those examples of a co-op campaign that credit unions and cooperatives can get involved with understand talk to their staff about it, it's a great moment of an intersection between something we all think about twitter it's it's you know it's popular, it's known, and co-ops, and those opportunities aren't that common. And so Mm -hmm. I think what's nice about this uh, and the gift that uh, Danny and his uh, colleagues have given us is that it's a mainstream cooperative topic uh, at at a scalable conversation, which doesn't usually happen, so jump in.
1: Yeah. And you're right. It's the exposure is good for everyone globally. It is good for your credit union. It is good for the smallest credit unions out there. It's good for worker co-ops. It's good for purchasing co-ops. Just the, to make the model less obscure, I think is a really important um, benefit of something like this. So.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: All right. Well, thank you so much for, for sharing this information with us today. I think it puts it into context a lot better than I even um, thought of it before going into this. So really, really appreciate your insights. and, um, And we'll be watching what happens over the next week. Will and I had some additional questions after our conversation that I was eager to ask Matt about regarding the impetus and background on these efforts to dig up any lessons we could learn for how else to push for heightened awareness of the cooperative model and ways to showcase it as a not so obscure, but rather quite viable option. I also wanted to learn what comes after the May 22nd meeting for this organizing effort. Here's Matt.
2: Yeah, so um, in terms of the By Twitter movement, there are very few formal roles. Um, we, we had a vote and sort of designated Danny on uh, Lumio and designated Danny Spitzberg kind of the, the point person, but beyond that, it's just, you know, a lot of sort of swarmy supporting. Mm-hmm. Um, my background um, and how I kind of came into this campaign uh, sort of really goes back to, you know I. My, my interest in co-ops was first sparked by, by the credit union model um, during the financial crisis and the idea of, you know, customer-owned banking. Um, and then as I was sort of studying that and thinking through things, kind of got interested in this, this concept that, um, you know, sort of transaction costs and the cost of information is collapsing, and that sort of changes what sorts of organizational forms make sense in the economy. Um, in particular, sort of allowing for sort of micro ownership, right? Ownership of tiny slices of things. Um, because the, the amount of friction, uh, in terms of, you know, say having governance votes, uh, has collapsed with the, um, uh, advent of the internet and payments kind of starting to hit in that direction too. Uh, and so I kind of gotten, I was sort of watching and thinking about sort of the idea of online co-ops and experimenting with, with them a little bit, um, and then, and there was kind of a growing discourse around this. This, and in twenty fourteen, it finally got a name, which was platform cooperativism. Right, mm-hmm. the idea of um, platforms being owned by their users. Um, and there was a big conference that was uh, that was convened at the New School in uh, New York City, uh, and it was a fascinating. Experience probably one of the most intense conferences I've ever been to because there were clearly many, many, many people who'd been all kind of mulling this over and seeing, seeing this kind of question of um, how the the fast-growing power of these various kind of platforms in the economy—whether you're talking about social media, whether you're talking about things like Uber and Airbnb, the gig economy—and so something that I think the organizers expected maybe have you know a few hundred people show up to, and it was a free conference had over a thousand people show up. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, all the rooms were completely packed. People were sitting in the aisles. People were you know clustered outside the doors. Um, you know, every seat was filled. And you know, the first day, everyone at, without getting dinner ended up staying staying until about like ten ten thirty at night. You know, it was just a sense of urgency there that this is there's this pent up kind of desire to start working through these big these big changes that our society and economy have seen. Um, that have been driven driven by technology in large part, and you know to start start working on solutions. So, you know that platform co op idea has kind of matured over the last year year or two. Um, last fall, there was the second gathering, which was a bit more of a focused convening, also in New York. Um, and around that time, um, Twitter was up for sale, and it was. Uh, or they was being kind of shopped around for acquisition and one after another, the major companies were expected to, would be expected to pick it up said no. Um, and that, that led to a bit of a sense of, I think crisis, but also, um, there was a really good, uh, moment where, um, where, um, uh, you know, a proposal was, was published in the guardian around like, what if we turn Twitter into a co-op? And that really sort of galvanized a lot of folks. And, um, you know, a lot of people who've been sort of active in the, the kind of platform co-op space doing a lot of thinking. This became sort of an opportunity for beyond thinking about startups that could maybe do things at the margins. This was kind of a chance to strike at the heart of part of this kind of new platform economy and this, the, the social economy where a lot of kind of these critiques have been developing around, you know, the monetization of people's data and their privacy and sort of what sort, sort, new sorts of power. That social platforms kind of are able to exercise in, in over society, over economic life, over political life. Uh, so, so the, this by Twitter campaign kind of came together. A group put, put up a, um, you know, we put up a, you know, a Slack and the Lumio project, um, had about 200 people at, I think at this point have, have kind of plugged into that. And, you know, a few few different things came out of it, but but the one that's kind of the focal point right now is this uh, shareholder resolution. Mm-hmm. So, a uh, shareholder who owns sufficient stock was found who's supportive. A group of us wrote up a um, a resolution, basically calling for a feasibility study for an exit to democratic ownership through a co-op or similarly broad-based structure. Um, so, we were able to submit it. It uh, it went. It initially um, the the. The board of directors, lawyers um, attempted to remove it from the ballot, um, and in fact, there were two proposals. One of which was, I think, actually sort of perceived by many people as more moderate, which was simply calling for um, for Twitter to uh, build into their app uh, something that would allow for um, for users encourage users to buy Twitter public stock. Um, that one was rejected by the uh, by the Securities and Exchange Commission because it was operational. It was mm-hmm. sort of an operational thing that, that, um, is outside the purview of sort of shareholder resolutions. Um, but because our, because our resolution was very much structurally focused, it's like, how should Twitter be owned? Right. Um, it made it past the kind of objections of the, the Twitter lawyers and is now on the proxy ballot and will be voted on, or is currently being voted on by people who have received their proxies, um, with the deadline and the final sort of, um, the, the end of the process being this coming Monday, uh, uh, the 22nd, uh, which is the, um, uh, the the by Twitter meeting, annual meeting.
1: Okay. Yeah. And I, I want to get into a little bit more about kind of what it all took to get to this point where it's on the ballot and then looking forward where we go from here. But before we go that direction, I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on what's potentially a teachable moment for cooperatives here as you are describing the momentum and the enthusiasm around uh, the platform cooperative movement. And, and really the, at the center of that is people wanting to have some sort of democratic control or ownership over the technologies that they use. Now, when you look at the credit union movement, you would think there would be similarities, many similarities, that people would want to have that urgency in sense of wanting to have more democratic control over their finances. If if technology is something that people feel um, that it's important to control because of all the issues and privacy and and. Um, control related to the technology they use in their lives. You would surely think that people would feel similar about their finances and all of the the matters that are involved with your financial lives. But why do you think then that there isn't some sort of a, a sense of urgency or groundswell when, when um, credit unions trying to get bigger, more market share, there just seems to be kind of a lull in um, you either use credit unions or more more likely most people don't really have an awareness of credit unions or that they exist or that there's a difference between banks and credit unions. I guess what I'm trying to ask is why is it the technology issue brings about this kind of um, passion and a larger group of people than you thought would, would be participating. But on the financial side, it seems a little bit harder to get that groundswell going.
2: Yeah, no, I think that's a good question. And I think there's a few dynamics there. Um, one is, uh, I think, kind of a, an interesting structural dynamic that that thinking about the credit union movement specifically um, is the sense of, is someone else taking care of the problem? Hmm. Uh, yeah, I think that one of the great debates in the credit union movement in the 20th century was over whether or not there should be federal share insurance. There's a huge debate in the 1960s. Like, the the entire reason the, was that the... Um, uh, the National Association of Federal Credit Unions exists is because it um, it was a splinter group that opposed CUNA uh, in terms of because CUNA was in the '60s against um, against federal share insurance and so NAFCU was formed as a as a group as a counter group of of credit unions that were supporting federal share insurance and one of the big arguments that was made at the time was that if uh, if it was uh, twofold. One would be that by creating federal share insurance, it would it would limit the autonomy of credit unions and would basically put them increasingly under the the power and limit their their ability to do what they wanted to do. Um, it would increase the power of of regulators and really, you know, take that from a from a fairly minor role to a major role. Um, but the other the other sort of piece that was related is the sense that if that that regulatory structure was was overseeing. Um, the credit union and was perceived to be overseeing the credit union by the members, then members could could almost sort of perceive that as having kind of like outsourced the responsibility. Someone else is taking care of it. Someone else is watching it. Um, and therefore, you know, my participation isn't super meaningful one way or the other. Versus if there is no, if there is no share insurance, if, you know, bad decisions are made and the credit union goes belly up and you lose, you know, some savings, Mm-hmm. that's a that's a more strong incentive to um to engage in you know governance and you know be sort of, sort of direct some of your limited energy towards your financial cooperative
0: mm-hmm.
2: um i think I think that in the tech world there's a sense that these these technology platforms have been you know developing and moving so fast that there's no real faith in any sort of kind of external regulatory structure government intervention. Um, as having the capacity to, to even comprehend the full impact of what's going on and the changes that are happening, never mind, um, you know, getting a handle on it at this point. Um, and so as in many situations when people, you know, even the very first co-ops, um, that, that, that then kind of recorded the, the old, um, the old mills back in the 18th century, it was the sense of, you know, if, if other sort of regulatory forces can't be trusted, then owning it is, is the way to sort of make an institution trustworthy um, and non-extractive, and so you know the, the the mill example in the in the 1700s was you know early industrializing towns, uh, people coming from the villages would you know buy their 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 um, flour from millers uh, who they didn't know because they they were kind of coming to new towns. Those millers were were caught in this one famous example that you know. Mixing powdered white lead into their um to their to their flour um, and poisoning the children of these uh, dock workers dock workers rioted you know burned down the mills and took up a collection to build their own mill right mm-hmm. so um I think similarly there's the sense that things like you know Facebook and twitter and um airbnb and uber are doing these things that are that are profoundly socially damaging in many ways. Um, you know, I think a lot of anxiety, especially in social media has come out after the, um, after the election where it was seen that, okay, so, so the Trump campaign bought essentially the profiles of 220 million Americans uh, with four to 5,000 data points per profile. Um, and it's, the, and if, if third parties are essentially able to, um, you know, obtain and utilize that sort of um, that level of data about people from these platforms. Um, you know, what happens when the platforms themselves start to have significant agendas, you know, and, and the whole sort of like rumbling anxiety about Mark Zuckerberg running for president has been, I think, another sort of moment of, Oh, you know, mm-hmm. this, this person who's the CEO of this company has more information about, you know, more people than any, um, you know than any sort of twentieth-century authoritarian, you know, police service could ever have dreamed of attempting to get right deep right. psychological profiles, not right. just not just a handful of uh, data points. And so that question of you know is there a serious threat to you know your well-being, your autonomy? I think people perceive that to be something that there's nothing there's nothing blocking that threat in the social media mm-hmm. space right now. There's no sort of regulator who can be pointed to to be like oh that. You know they're responsible. They they have a handle on it. I could I don't have to worry about it. In the same way that people perceive the financial sector, whether that perception is accurate or not is another question. But people perceive the financial sector as essentially being kind of, you know, in this cocoon of of regulatory um, oversight.
1: How can this movement and the work that you've done to get even the word cooperative or democratic control. Um, being talked at at the level of um, the shareholder meeting for Twitter. Is there any way that that or what do you see the momentum of that um, being able to continue for more exposure and um, more just proof that the cooperative model is a viable and strong option for the way we exist in society and the way businesses structure themselves today?
2: yeah so I, th- I think one of the biggest challenges for for co-ops and sort of any alternative ownership structures generally is is you know awareness, right? so like unless you' you're a geek like like you and I are um, the uh, you know most people maybe have like two or three categories in their mind for how things are owned, right? Mm-hmm. You know maybe there's like, oh, there's like a category for family business, there's a category for you know corporation or some sort of like bigger business, and then there's a category for nonprofit. And you know that's that's basically it mm-hmm. um so so how so the question of how to sort of get people to sort of add the co-op to to their you know the 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 their mental map of what's what's possible um i feel like is is kind of a perennial challenge for for cooperatives generally um you know and 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 there's a i think there's a certain kind of like um strategic approach that's that's really you know if you can hit a certain certain uh critical mass of having them eno- in enough um enough parts of your life and having them be engaging then then you know you'll get a broad base in, in say a particular region that has you know a very active food co-op and uh you know and some, some credit unions who are sort of open about their identity and you know some some other some other forms of you know electric co-ops that sort of thing mm-hmm. you know there's the potential to have enough of those that people start to build to be like, okay, no, that's a separate category. And that's something that I like and that I would like to see in other lo- parts of my life. So once people get to that point, then, then you present them with, oh yeah, here's this part of the economy that you should probably be in a co-op. And here's this part of the economy you should probably be in a co-op. You should probably be in a credit union if you're using financial services.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so what the, uh, what I feel like this campaign and the sort of platform co-op stuff has been doing is sort of translating that, anxiety um, about, uh, and the Buy Twitter campaign particularly, anxiety about sort of the future and power of social media, um, and into a sort of clear, actionable, hey, this is an alternative structure that you can really wrap your head around and will solve these problems you're feeling anxious about. And what's been interesting about the Buy Twitter campaign in particular on this front has been... You know, it's it's always challenging to so with people have busy lives, how do you get how do you get them to set aside the time and the the, the energy and cognitive space to to actually have a conversation? What's gonna compel them into it? And with the the Buy Twitter campaign it's been interesting because no matter what people are talking about or are interested in, everyone has the shared affinity of being a Twitter user. Mm-hmm. And so there's this kind of meta conversation that happens around, you know, no matter what you know, no matter what your p- political orientation is, it's like, hey, like, let's think about the way that we are talking in and of itself, and that kind of short circuits a little bit. That sort of like, oh, you know, this organizational structure question is only for the organization geeks. Like, I'm not interested in that conversation because suddenly it's, what is this doing to me, mm-hmm. um, and what what impact does it have on me, and what um, what can then I do to feel like you know, once I recognize that potentially the negative aspects of being in a social media space that's designed to extract from me, that's designed to take more of my attention and time, and you know, uh, use my social network to sell things to other people, and um, you know, really all of these things that are that are not visible on the surface, but once you become aware of them, become very troubling. Uh, and ha- you know, so 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 that sort of everyone is doing this thing, and now we're bringing this conversation to the table, saying that you should you know, if you have any concerns and here's a lot of legitimate concerns about how this is being run, you should be aware of this model as an alternative. Mm-hmm. And that that meta conversation becomes this little wedge through which we can then get people aware of the co-op model that can then hopefully be transferable more broadly.
1: I wanted to hear you talk maybe a little bit about what this means, that this is even on the ballot for May 22nd. um, Uh, annual meeting at Twitter and what happens after that regardless of the results of the vote um, as we kind of can anticipate that you know when you put something on the ballot that says we recommend you vote against this it's not likely to pass and that's how it's positioned on the ballot but nonetheless it's on the ballot so what's what's past this what's six months past this or you know what is the next step in this campaign?
2: so so one of the the really interesting conversations that kind of um to be sparked by this that I think we'll we'll go we'll go long past it is is these questions of all right if we you know of both you know governance and structure right um so 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 how what would be the best way to structure the ownership of a platform with hundreds of millions of users or even billions of users if we're you know eventually talking about taking on the you know the 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 great um you know the the, the elephant in the room of Facebook. Um, you know, what, like, what does that ownership look like? Is it, is it, you know, are we talking, you know, pure, you know, the, you know, consumer cooperative with the, you know, the customers being the, uh, the users? Um, are we talking about, you know, and, and so, so a lot of people have been kind of throwing out different proposals and different ways of structuring these things. So I've seen one that was kind of interesting that was almost um, for the, for the, by Twitter campaign that would be, essentially there would be a trust that, that could you know, buy the shares either, you know, potentially all at once or over time um, and then allocate sort of governance power based on um, almost like clout, sort of relative social media clout. So Mm -hmm. so the more, the more sort of like clout you had, the more sort of governance power you'd have. There's a lot of different, different proposals floating around. I think that, um, so in many ways, the study that we're proposing is the the foundation of it is already kind of being laid by all these different people putting in, um, putting in, Serious thoughts into sort of how to actually create something like this. Um, so, so yeah. So I think regardless of how how the vote goes, I think that those conversations will continue, and those will benefit definitely the broader platform co-op movement, as it will kind of give us more defined and concrete tools and ways of thinking about how to actually sort of structure sort of large scale platform co-ops going forward. Um, a second, a second piece, you know, is that governance question. You know, how could how do we actually make something democratic, right? You know, we see how hard it is to sort of run a democracy, you know, democratic republic, like the United States, in a way that feels fair and legitimate. Um, and we're talking about platforms that have that many individuals or perhaps even more. Um, and so there's been some great conversations around, you know, using platforms like Lumio um, or using, uh, using things like Sortition, where you take a random... Um, random sampling of the, uh, of the usership and have them make, you know, have that them essentially function as juries to make certain decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, so, so I feel like a lot of that kind of thought, if we, um, if it passes, of course, you know, basically Twitter will, will be sort of commissioning a study on this stuff. And so I imagine that would go incredibly deep, but even if it doesn't, I think there's a lot of folks who are interested in these questions and, um, and we're going to contribute to this, you know commons of tools and and ideas around uh, around how to do platform co-ops. Uh, other other pieces of the puzzle I think are, you know, one other kind of project that's come out of the by Twitter movement has been this um this thing aiming to create uh, a platform co-op, like a financial vehicle. So the the initial structure is going to be a um uh, it's, it's going to be a sort of an entirely online um, Invest, co-op principal-style investment club um, and then to sort of get it rolling. And then as once it sort of heads towards its maximum number of, of, nine, or of 99 members, uh, we'll, we'll be looking at other alternative um, legal structures for it. But essentially something that could aggregate monthly investments from many people who are interested in this sort of thing um, and be prepared to move on opportunities to convert, especially for keeping an eye on, you know, if... You know, Twitter is essentially, with the board's opposition, a hot would be a hostile takeover, right? Um, but there are probably there are certain you know, tech, pretty valuable and useful tech platforms to their to the users who aren't you know either publicly traded or so um, or so kind of uh, um, subordinated at this point to to venture capital that they have to be aiming for unicorn status. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we would so this would allow us to start aggregating capital to. Um, so that if, if there was more of a friendly type of, um, okay, someone who owns, say, something like, uh, the, the CEO of, um, of Basecamp has, has, has written some really interesting articles about how they've opted for a slow growth strategy and, um, their, their values seem very a al- lot, potentially very aligned with, with what the platform co-op movement's been talking about. So if something like that were to say, hey, like, we like this idea of exiting to our users. How do we finance that beyond, you know, getting users to sort of, you know, pay in a, a little extra thing for their share and having this sort of financial vehicle that, that could then provide a significant chunk of um, the buyout and sort of very friendly, on very friendly terms. Mm-hmm. Um, so so that so that infrastructure, which really is kind of, you know, the, the group came together within the Buy Twitter campaign is, is sort of in the formation process. Okay. Um, and then there's the question, as I was talking about earlier, um, of the uh of you know that that kind of build it or buy it thing but mm-hmm. i think there's going to be definitely a push for people to kind of move into uh for people who are supporters of the campaign uh to move it to move or create accounts on the the social.coop uh, mastodon instance as a way of kind of creating a um a social media community hub for or you know folks who are supporters of the co-op model um that itself will be is a platform co-op so so at very least, it'll be kind of, you know, something that can kind of model what we're, what our vision is. And at very best, you know, it becomes something that has a significant, you know, significant active user base and starts to sort of really show in practice what, what an alternative that isn't oriented around extraction, uh, an alternative social media site that, you know, not oriented around extraction can really look like and feel like and what the differences in culture um, are. And when, you know, the goal isn't to, create certain emotional states in its users that cause them to spend more time on the site and deliver more advertising dollars.
1: Mm -hmm. So what do you recommend to people who maybe are listening to this podcast that are interested in learning more, getting more involved, and potentially even, um, you know, pushing forward with this concept of, um, you know, taking back control of their social media
2: um well i mean you know one one thing i would of course encourage people to do is go to social.coop and and set up a site or set, set up an account and uh you know maybe kick in a dollar or two a month through the the open collective thing that, that's funding the uh the project um and just kind of like plugging into that community a little bit Mm-hmm. Um, certainly go to buy Um, uh, and if you haven't already, sign the, sign the petition. Um, and that, that, you know, a lot of the follow up kind of activities I think will be, will be based around the community of supporters who have really clustered around that group. Um, you know, the, the, there's, um, some others, if you want to get deeper, more deeply involved in the project, um, certainly I think one thing that's, that's been great for me to learn about through the, the, And get familiar with through the by Twitter project. And I've started using it on other, on other projects as well is the, uh, the Lumio, the Lumio platform, which is this kind of forum and collaborative decision making thing that's run by uh, a worker co-op in New Zealand. Um, so there's a Lumio project for that and then also for this kind of platform co-op investment club. So folks are interested in getting involved in either of those to, to, you know, to, to hop on the Lumio projects and you can be part of the conversations and part of the, you know, help make decisions about various things as we, do work to structure these, um, these organizations. And actually, if you join uh social.coop, there's also a, um, a a Lumio governance group for that. Um, and I think just kind of, you know, being part of the convert, being part of this broader, uh, platform co-op conversation, um, I think both as individuals and as, you know, co-ops and credit unions, um, you know, really connecting this, this question, which I think is one of those sort of great political questions of our time to, um, to their own structures, you know, so saying, you know recognizing though you know that you know you you are, you our members own us as a as a as a credit union. What do you think about the idea of owning owning the 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 platform on which we communicate? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people are receptive to that message so um you know i think there's there's also the the platform cooperativism uh the third the third annual conference will be happening again in New York, I believe in November. Um, and in terms of, you know, really sort of the, the people who are on the cutting edge of thinking about these issues and, and sort of the, the, the ways of, you know, making governance and finance and lay sort of like good labor practices and all these things that are, that are really being profoundly disrupted by the, these, these changes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I've certainly found that, that space in that community to be incredibly thought provoking and, uh really really sharp and i encourage anyone who's interested in these questions to attend
1: super appreciate the time that you've taken to to talk with us today is there anything else that we didn't touch on that you wanted to mention before we before we let you go
2: yeah i guess just the final thing would be to you know hop on twitter go to follow um you know follow at by this platform you know look at the the hashtags uh, by twitter and we are twitter to sort of find find the conversations that are happening about this and you know lend your, lend your, lend your voice too, you know, cause it's, it's, uh, it's the conversations on the platform that we want to buy that are really sort of building the momentum for this.
1: And that's it for the fill in folks. Thanks again for listening and a huge thank you to Will and Matt for taking some time to share with us today. If you like this episode, go out and rate us on Apple podcasts. So more people can find us. And make sure you're subscribed to the Filene Fill-In Podcast so you can keep up with what's going on at Filene. You'll find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to get in touch about today's show, email me at org or find us on Twitter at Filene Research. Until next time. Thanks, everyone.